0: Well, good morning. Uh, contrary to your bulletin, I'm not the Reverend Christine Lee. Uh, <laughs> I'm Michael DeLashmet. I'm the academic dean at General Seminary, and my family has been here at St. Peter's for a few months. And we, I'm delighted to be with you this morning to break open the word with you on this last Sunday of the Epiphany, uh, made even more special by the three baptisms that we will uh, celebrate here in just a moment. I want to begin by asking you to imagine something with me. In fact, there will be a number of moments for you to do some imagining uh, in this sermon. I'd like you to imagine uh, what a child's drawing of a mountain might look like. So you can imagine the picture is framed by a pastel blue sky with maybe some white fluffy clouds on the top of the, the top half of the paper. Maybe there's some green grass and some white sheep and some yellow flowers along the bottom edge, and in the middle of the page is a large green half-circle mound, maybe with a couple of stick figures on the top, victoriously high-fiving as they've completed a big hike. Well, the place where the church remembers the transfiguration of Jesus, the story that we read this morning, it's called Mount Tabor, and it sticks several hundred feet out of the plains to the west of the Sea of Galilee. And it's kind of like a child's drawing of a mountain. A big green bump surrounded by green pastures with white sheep and the yellow flowers of oilseed plants. Today, if you visit Mount Tabor, you can either spend an afternoon hiking up a Bedouin trail to the top, which may or may not have been how Jesus and his disciples made their ascent. Or you can take your life in your hands and try driving to the top of this mountain. There's a two-lane road today that cuts through the Arab village of Deboria at the base of Mount Tabor, and it quickly turns into a single-track road of nearly a dozen hairpin switchbacks that scale the side of the mountain. Buses full of local and international tourists careen up and down this road, signaling their presence with an anxiety-producing honk at each of these tight, blind corners. They say that Mount Tabor is a holy place, but not just because Jesus and his disciples prayed here, but because of all the prayers of modern tourists who are pleading with God to survive their ascent. (laughs) I like to imagine Peter, James, and John, and Jesus climbing to the top of this child's drawing of a mountain. They reach the summit just as the sun is setting into the Mediterranean to the west, While to the east, the long triangular shadow of the mountain grows long and dark against the green plains below. They're praying, which for them probably meant chanting by memory parts of the Psalter, maybe even one of the Psalms that we prayed this morning. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and fall down before his footstool. He is the Holy One. Moses and Aaron are among his priests and Samuel among those who call upon his name. As they were praying this psalm that they knew by heart, something unexpected happens. Matthew writes of Jesus that he was transfigured before them, metamorphosed, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white, and suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. I wonder what it would have been like to have been St. Peter in this story. You follow Jesus from the very beginning, but it hasn't always been an easy road up to this point. In fact, just six days earlier, according to our reading, you had a big dust-up with Jesus. Jesus confided in you that he uh, had to go to Jerusalem for his death in order to fulfill his mission. Now, you see Jesus as a liberator for your people. Jews like you are suffering under Roman occupation, especially here in Galilee, where you're from. And if Jesus dies at this stage of the journey, you're afraid that any hope for you or for your family to have any freedom or self-determination, what you think at the time Jesus means by the kingdom of God, that this hope would die with him in Jerusalem. Out of fear, out of anger, you snap back at Jesus, God forbid it, Jesus. And without hesitation, Jesus turns to you and sharply corrects you, get behind me, Satan. Yet even with this stinging rebuke in your mind from less than a week ago you still follow up follow Jesus up this mountain. And perhaps more surprising is that Jesus invites you to continue with him on this journey. You've made it to the top with your friends and there all of a sudden you're joined by Moses and Elijah too. And though you've never seen them before you know who they are and you know what this means. The stories in your scriptures have described how these two great figures, Moses and Elijah, both heard God's voice on a mountaintop, a mountaintop maybe similar to the one that you're on right now. Their presence with you, it seems to affirm your hope in Jesus, that Jesus is really the one who's been called by God to make things right for your people. Moses is here to affirm that Jesus is the fulfillment of his law and the one who's going to set Israel back on the right path in its covenant with God. Elijah is here to affirm that Jesus is the end-time prophet, the one who will speak God's voice to God's people. But then, as if things couldn't get any weirder, you hear a voice itself. Not the voice of God spoken in the law, not the voice of God spoken through the prophets, but the voice of God calling you directly out of a cloud. The words echo back to you a line that you've heard Jesus say many times before as he's recalled back to you the story of his own baptism in the Jordan River three years ago. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the added command from heaven, listen to him. And in a flash, as suddenly as it all appeared, the light goes away The cloud lifts, the voice is silenced, and you and James and John and Jesus are all alone on the top of this child's drawing of a mountain, in the middle of the Galilean plains. And in the silence, Jesus reaches out to reassure you, get up, don't be afraid. This experience is a powerful one one so powerful in fact that it appears almost identically in all three of our synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke it's also referred to in our reading from second peter this morning and it played a big role in the imagination of early christian preachers folks like origen of alexandria or john chrysostom and in our own church in the episcopal church this story is almost always read on this the last sunday of the epiphany the sunday before ash wednesday So what's this all about? Why? Why is it an important enough event to pass on and memorialize in this way? And what does the transfiguration of Jesus have to do with you and me today anyway? Well, in the life of Jesus' disciples, the transfiguration seems to serve two purposes. First, it affirms what the disciples hoped for. And secondly, it encourages them for what's ahead. The Transfiguration affirmed what the disciples had hoped for about Jesus, namely that Jesus really was God's anointed servant, who had come to fulfill the law and the prophets and to bring about God's kingdom in Israel. That's what seeing Moses and Elijah must have meant for Peter, James, and John. Yet the Transfiguration wasn't just about affirming what they already knew. It was also an experience that would help them in their future journey with Jesus they now had a first-hand encounter with God, an experience that was confounding but also strangely affirming, terrifying but also somehow enduring and sustaining and nurturing. It was an experience that had lasting value but whose meaning took time to fully develop. It's like a photo taken by an old Polaroid camera. The meaning of the experience would continue to develop over time with reflection, remembering, retelling and sharing. What happened to the disciples on the top of Mount Tabor is the very definition of a mountaintop experience, an encounter with God that confounds and affirms and terrifies and sustains, an experience that begins to make sense once we remember it. I wonder if you have memories of a mountaintop experience. Maybe it wasn't as dramatic as the experience of Moses on Sinai or Peter, James, and John, seeing the transfigured Jesus on Mount Tabor. But nonetheless, maybe it was something that gave you a sense of the the greatness and the closeness of God. Maybe a mountaintop experience for you was a time when you were praying, and you felt strangely that God's presence was with you in the room. Maybe it was when you were serving someone in need, and you walked away with a sense that maybe that person that you had encountered was the risen Jesus in front of you. Maybe it was the first time you picked up a book of common prayer, and you felt yourself swept along in worship with hundreds of generations of other Christians who came before you and continue to pray for and with you. These moments of insight help us to affirm who Jesus is to us, and they give us also encouragement about who Jesus will be in the journey ahead. Today may well be a mountaintop experience for three members of our congregation. Here among us, Elaine and Tyler and Evangelina have chosen to respond to God's call through the sacrament of baptism. In baptism, God is speaking to you, to you three. God says to you, you are delivered from sin and death. Your hearts have been opened to grace and to truth. You are filled with the holy and life-giving Spirit. You will be kept in faith, empowered to love. You are sent into the world, and you will be brought into the fullness of peace and glory. You will be marked as Christ's own forever. Today, as we bear witness to our newest siblings in Christ, as they descend into the waters of baptism, may we also ascend with them to the mountaintop of God, to encounter God here among us today. With them, let us hear God's voice again, affirming our hope in God's promises, strengthening us for the journey ahead. Amen.